Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about the desperate stunts Republicans are pulling to distract from their agenda and some recent wins by the Democrats. And I interview Congressman Adam Schiff about Kevin McCarthy removing him from the House Intelligence Committee, whether he thinks that George Santos can still serve his constituents effectively in Congress, and on his Senate run, why he chose to enter the race, and whether he and Katie Porter would consider staying in Congress if one of them seemed to be running away with that race. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. So I thought for this week we'd try something a little different. It kind of want to highlight a snapshot of where the two parties are at in real time because we have the luck of being able to directly compare a Democratic administration with a Republican majority in the House. So on the Republican side, we're contending with two threats right now. First and most importantly, Kevin McCarthy has decided to take his debt ceiling threats and double down saying this. You, the White House said that the president's open to a talking about the debt ceiling in a separate discussion about ways to control spending. I mean, do you, what do you think about when you hear that, that they kind of want to separate those two? Is what they Which, whichever way they want to talk about it, I'm very clear. We will not pass a clean debt ceiling here without some form of spending reform. So there'll never be a clean one. I don't know how they want to say it. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we're going to get spending reforms. That he won't pass a clean debt ceiling bill, but instead will use it to exact concessions in the form of spending reform. So what is spending reform? Uh, great question. Let's ask Kevin McCarthy. Where should those budget cuts come from right now? Medicare and Social Security, the White House insists Republicans want to cut. What cuts do you want? Well, to let me be clear about that. And I've been clear many times. No, we're not talking about that. And to really be able to do this right, I'm not going to negotiate this in the press, right? I respect the conversation we had together, and we will continue that. Uh, okay, so I guess he won't be telling us what spending reform is, but we have some guesses here. The most obvious is that spending reform is the shiny new nickname for entitlement reform, which Republicans have been trying to do for decades, where they try to eliminate your earned benefits of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Now, another option is that they try to tie this to the Fair Tax Act, and I've spoken about that before. That would eliminate personal income taxes, corporate taxes, payroll taxes, and the inheritance tax, and replace all of that with a 30% national sales tax. And so instead of the rich carrying the majority of the tax burden in this country, which would make sense considering they possess the bulk of the money in this country, the tax burden would be transferred to the working poor. On average, about 40% of households don't even pay federal income tax because they don't make enough money. And so under this plan, you would take people who are already making too little money to even qualify for income tax payments and then slap a 30% premium onto literally everything. The only way to make this war on the poor more obvious is if they just called it a war on the poor. Now, just to be clear here, the debt ceiling is the only opportunity for Republicans to pass any legislation this cycle. Nothing that they pass will make it through the Democratic-led Senate or withstand Biden's veto. And so this debt ceiling bill is it. This is their only chance to try and exact concessions from the Democrats, and they're going to go to the mat to do it, obviously. But... With that said, it won't be popular, and so it's also incumbent on them to distract you. And man, that is exactly what they're doing. Here's, here's just a light sampling from our dear friend Marjorie Taylor Greene on the distraction strategy. Can you tell me uh, how, much, how much COVID cash went to CRT? 
CRT. Critical race theory in education. It's, it's a racist right. uh, uh, curriculum used to teach children uh, that somehow their white skin is not equal to black skin and other things in education. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not know that. But I, I do know that there's f provisions that the uh, federal funds generally are not used, they're supposed to be used for curriculum. Oh, it's a state. Oh, Mr. Dodaro, I have to tell you, in Illinois, that they, they receive 5.1 billion um, at at an elementary school there that that used it for equity and diversity. Um, so it's it's being used for these things. Uh, Mr. Dodaro, can you tell me how much money was given to Drag Queen Story Hour? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Who? Drag Queen Story Time, where where men dress up as oh, oh, women oh, and, and read yeah. confusing books to children. Yeah. First, I thought you said dry clean. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I don't know the answer to either one of those two. Uh, oh, we need to look into this, and I, I urge you to do that. Um, they uh, Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center in Pennsylvania received sixteen thousand dollars. Uh, for drag queen story time uh, from from COVID cash, um, I think this is an issue that needs to be looked into. A lot of this money went to things that it should have never gone to, and I thank you so much. And I yield back the remainder of my time. So that poor guy was the controller general, and I think he's. Uh, a pretty good encapsulation of what the 90% of Americans who don't mainline Fox News would say when confronted with any of the bananas talking points that these people spew on a daily basis. It's just been a barrage of critical race theory and drag queens and gay M&Ms and pronouns and Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato, just endless culture war bullshit. But it's on purpose. There is a reason that the right has to focus on this stuff, and it's because their legislative agenda is currently deciding whether they'll try to take away your Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, or whether they'll try to impose a 30% tax on everyone. Like, tell you what, if that was my agenda, I'd probably be throwing a bunch of drag queen spaghetti at the wall to distract you too. Now, all the while, on the left, just to give a snapshot of an issue that actually impacts Americans, the January jobs report was just released, and instead of the 188,000 jobs that were predicted that month, the economy added 517,000 jobs, bringing the total jobs added in Biden's presidency to 12.1 million. Not only the most jobs ever added in the first two years of a presidential term, but more jobs than have been added even in a four-year term. Manufacturing jobs are up to 800,000, thanks in large part to the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, which led to an explosion of jobs in renewables and fiber and chips. The unemployment rate is down to 3.4%. That's the lowest in 54 years, down 45% since Biden took office. Black and Hispanic unemployment is also near record lows at 5.4% and 4.5% respectively. We've had the strongest two years for small business applications on record with 10.5 million new businesses created. Real wages are higher than they were seven months ago, uh, up 4.4% on the past year. Even on the inflation and gas price front, inflation's down for the sixth straight month with headline CPI at negative 0.1% and gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Again, the difference when you invest in the economy from the bottom up versus the top down could not be more apparent. Like, if you needed any more proof that Republicans' 40-year failed experiment on trickle-down economics doesn't work, this is it. This administration invested in jobs for regular people, policies for regular people, gave bailout funds to regular people who needed them, expanded the child tax credit for regular people, and the result is that the U.S. had the fastest recovery from COVID of any G7 country. I know you'll be shocked to hear that it's possible to bail out people who aren't millionaires and billionaires, but it is. And it turns out that strategy works a lot better. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that the GOP wants to distract you. Whether it's their own dangerous economic policies or the successful one by the Democrats, the fact is that what they are selling isn't going to be very attractive to Americans. 
So get ready for God knows how many more months or years of culture wars about candy not being attractive enough or imaginary college graduate level courses being taught in elementary schools and an endless barrage of pretending that children are in imminent danger from things that don't exist like litter boxes. But just know that if they had anything worthwhile to run on, they wouldn't need to scare you with things that don't exist. Next up is my interview with Adam Schiff. Okay, now we've got my congressman and now candidate for the U.S. Senate from California, Adam Schiff. Thanks so much for joining today. It's great to be with you. Now, Kevin McCarthy has refused to seat you on the House Intelligence Committee. He said, quote, the misuse of this panel during the 116th and 117th Congresses are severely undermined by its primary national security and oversight missions. Now, first of all, I'm not sure how that nebulous claim applies to you, but what's your response to McCarthy on the topic of taking you off of this committee? Well, the reason he's taking me off the committee is because our investigations in the Intelligence Committee uncovered uh, the fact that Donald Trump was withholding hundreds of millions of dollars from Ukraine, uh, our ally, uh, in order to try to extort Ukraine into helping him cheat in the election. Um, he doesn't like that. Donald Trump doesn't like that. Uh, and, and to him, uh, bowing to you know what Donald Trump wants is his reason for being. Uh, but it, it's a unprecedented move. Uh, you know, no speaker has ever tried to decide who the minority party uh, can have as the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, and I think his actions will undermine confidence in the committee. Uh, and that may result in the intelligence community, uh, you know, unwilling to share certain information uh, if they think the committee is going to be abused that way. Is there any recourse here? Like, given McCarthy's objections, is there any way to actually get onto this committee? Any appeal process for this? Uh, there, there really isn't. It's a select committee. Uh, unlike the, the standing committees in the House, the Speaker has the last word. Uh, but I, I think the voters in California will have an opportunity for redress. Uh, it adds additional, I think, powerful argument uh, to our Senate campaign. Uh, make Adam Schiff Kevin McCarthy's home state senator. Uh, I think for those who are as appalled uh, as my colleagues with what McCarthy has done, um, there is an opportunity uh, to find uh, to redress. Now, a big part of this is the, the tit for tat because Democrats removed uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, uh, both of whom had advocated for violence against Democrats. That was um, uh, Nancy Pelosi and AOC, meaning that he's equating like Paul Gosar fantasizing about going online and AOC being killed with you impeaching Donald Trump. Can, can you speak on that false equivalency here? Yes, and, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, this is a step by McCarthy to appease, you know, the most extreme elements of his conference. There is no equivalence here. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar were removed from their committees with a bipartisan vote last session because they were encouraging violence against other members of Congress. And as someone on the receiving end of a lot of death threats over the last several years, uh, you know, I take my security seriously, and my colleagues do, or they should. Uh, so they were removed for good reason, and in a bipartisan way, there's nothing equivalent here. Is there any way to find out what concessions Kevin McCarthy promised to the hostage takers on his side in exchange for their speaker votes? Is there any, any uh, effort to do that right now? You know, I think uh, a lot of it is, you know, pretty much out of the open now. Uh, restoring Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and Gosar to their committees and to important committees uh, is part of the deal. Uh, but also, Marjorie Taylor Greene now is one of McCarthy's closest confidants. Uh, this was her price that she wanted that kind of influence. 
Uh, he put a lot of those, you know, right-wing rebels uh, on the rules committee to decide the rules for the House. Uh, he is bound to their, their will when he is threatening to default on the nation's debt uh, in order to cut Social Security and Medicare. So sadly, we see out in the open a lot of the results of that, that uh, terrible bargain he struck so that, you know, his door would have the nameplate speaker. Um, but uh, uh, he will be the weakest speaker the House has ever had. Well, speaking of one of McCarthy's closest confidants, Marjorie Taylor Greene this past week peppered the Controller General with questions about critical race theory and drag queen story hour. Dodaro actually channeled the entire country by being as visibly confused as the rest of us. Do you think that this is the agenda that they're going to squander their majority with, uh, you know, faux outrage about critical race theory and drag queen story hour and M&Ms and on and on? Yes, I think that's exactly what they're going to do. They're, they're not interested in legislating. They're not interested in governing. Uh, they're only interested in tearing down uh, and sensationalism. And so, you know, sadly, people look at Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Republican conference and they're like, OK, this nobody of a congresswoman has now this big following, can raise a lot of money. Maybe that's where the power and glory is in the GOP. Uh, so she has many imitators. Uh, and, and this is what's brought, uh, you know, the kind of Tea Party movement to the present, um, this extreme element is now in the center of the Republican conference. And because they have no legislative agenda, because they have no ideas, because they have no interest in governing, you can expect a lot more uh, circus-like tactics like you saw in that hearing. Another beacon of integrity on the right is George Santos. Do you feel that he's able to effectively serve his constituents in this Congress? Uh, no, absolutely not. He's he's a joke. Um, and sadly, it was a joke uh, that is going to have dark consequence for his constituents uh, who were defrauded. Um, and, you know, but I will say this. We should see Santos for what he really is. And that is he is the, the living, walking, breathing embodiment of a Republican Party that four years ago, six years ago, with the election of Donald Trump, decided it had no interest in the truth anymore. Uh, you know, Donald Trump lied in office thousands and thousands of times. Um, and so what's more natural than to come out of that uh, party than someone who is a complete fraud himself like George Santos? Yeah, I think that's that's perfectly put. And I've, I've said before, Republicans aren't mad, in my opinion, that George Santos lied. They're mad because he makes it so easy for the rest of us to see exactly who that party is by putting somebody front and center who is so blatantly a liar, a thief, uh, uh, somebody willing to just completely compromise any shred of integrity. So with that said, let's move on to your U.S. Senate run. Why run? What are you trying to bring to the Senate? Uh, really a, a couple things. Uh, the first is that our democracy is deeply at risk. It has been for several years. Uh, this extreme MAGA movement isn't over. Uh, Donald Trump um, is still the leader of that party. Uh, and after working on the impeachment, after uh, being part of the January 6th committee uh, and bringing out the evidence before the country uh, as we did, um, I hope that it, it impressed upon the country just how fragile our democracy is. Uh, and I think a big part of the reason why we are so vulnerable as a democracy, and this gets to the second issue, which is really at the heart of my agenda, and that is the economy has not been working for millions of people uh, who have worked harder than ever and seeing their quality of life slip away, see the future for their kids in doubt. Uh, and it's left all too many Americans receptive to a demagogue who comes along and says that he alone can fix it. Uh, and these two problems 
the structural problem with our economy. Uh, we just saw Facebook and other companies uh, lay off uh, massive numbers of people while uh, you know paying, doing stock uh, buybacks and, and dividends for shareholders. Um, you know, as long as the the economy isn't working for millions of people, our democracy is at risk. And of course, it's just fundamentally uh, unfair and unjust and, and bad economics. Uh, so those two issues to me are paramount and urgent. And the third uh, that I've always been very outspoken on uh, is our planet and climate. Um, if we don't if we don't attack climate change with even greater urgency, then these other issues aren't going to matter in the long run. Uh, and I think we need someone in the Senate who will champion those issues, who's been at the center of these fights, and, and that's why I'm running for the Senate. Is there any legislation that you would sponsor or introduce that's kind of like off the beaten path? That's not the usual stuff that we would expect, but is there some like pet project or some, some left to center thing that you would, you know, be interested in introducing? Uh, you know, there are many things, uh, you know, some are quite uh, to be uh, expected because I've been at the center of them and others are probably a surprise to some of your listeners and viewers. Um, I introduced and carried and we passed in the House the Protecting Our Democracy Act. That may be one of the most significant bills that I've carried. Uh, it's our whole package of our own post-Watergate reforms to strengthen uh, the institutions of our democracy. Uh, it puts into law a lot of the norms that we thought were inviolate uh, until Donald Trump violated each and every one of them. Um, I've been working now for almost 20 years to double the size of the Santa Monica Mountains Recreation Area. We've gotten that passed in the House. Uh, we've gotten that passed in the Senate Resources Committee. Uh, but we need to start over now that we're in a new session and get it the final distance. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say uh, I've been working hard uh, also uh, to uh, combat uh, the, the uh, scourge of homelessness with legislation that incentivizes uh, more affordable housing. Uh, that is a deep priority of mine. I've been proud to bring back uh, millions and millions of dollars uh, to my district uh, and look forward to doing far more for the entire state um, to address uh, just how many people are homeless. Uh, and, and, you know, these issues are interrelated um, because the economy is not working the way it should, you know, almost half the people who are homeless in my hometown in, in, uh, in our region of Los Angeles um, are working uh, full time. Uh, and it's not enough to keep a roof over their head. Uh, and so um, these are my priorities and, and things I've been working on, but not always things that got the same attention as I was championing our democracy. Now, Katie Porter also announced her run for the U.S. Senate uh, in the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> I think a lot of people would look at both of you, the two most prominent declared candidates, and feel like functionally there wouldn't be a huge difference. How would you differentiate yourself from her? Well, you know, we're rivals under the same flag, uh, and I don't want to say anything uh, negative about my colleague. Um, I would say with respect to my own record that I've been at the center of every major fight to protect our democracy and to make sure we have an economy that works for everyone, uh, doing the investigation of former uh, President Trump's Russian misconduct, then doing the investigation of Ukraine misconduct, then leading uh, the first impeachment trial, uh, securing the first bipartisan vote to remove a president in U.S. history, uh, then participating in the January 6th committee. Uh, so I've been at the very center of these fights. I think California is used to uh, you know, the expectation that their senator is going to be a leader, not on the sidelines, but in the middle of the fight, 
But I've also been able to deliver uh, for California to bring back resources to attack the problems we have in California. Uh, and this is a big part of the reason why Speaker Pelosi today endorsed me um, under the assumption that Senator Feinstein doesn't run again. Uh, and 14 or 15 of my current California delegation members have also endorsed me. That's a, an extraordinary thing. Members generally hate to choose among their colleagues, but what they are choosing is someone with a proven track record of delivering for our state. And, and that's what I'll do. Just to game this out a little bit, you know, if this goes toward the end and it's you and Katie Porter, one of you will win and one of you will lose. Is there any strategy here to avoid losing both of you? Like from Congress, is, is, that, is that something that you would, that you've spoken about or would consider speaking about? And, and as, as a follow-up, is there even a way to, if it becomes clear that one is the clear favorite, that somebody could drop out and continue to actually run for Congress? Is that even possible? Uh, you know, that is uh, certainly possible, but I, you know, I think Californians uh, shouldn't be surprised that in a state as, as big and as important with as deep as a bench that we have, that you're going to have multiple people running, uh, multiple people that, uh, you know, Californians like. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I will say this, that uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, that I will be leaving a House seat that will remain in Democratic hands. Um, the seat in Orange County is a very difficult seat. Uh, and there are concerns about uh, about that, uh, that uh, we could lose that seat. Now, I'm going to do everything humanly possible uh, to help hold on to that seat. Uh, but that is another potential cost um, of, of one of my colleagues' candidacy. Let's finish off with this. How can we help your campaign? Um, AdamShift.com. Uh, I'd love to have uh, your viewers, your listeners join our campaign. Uh, we have a, an incredible grassroots effort. Uh, with the support of, of folks up and down the state. When we launched our campaign, we received support from every single county in California. Uh, so people can donate at adamshift.com or they can sign up to volunteer. Uh, and I would absolutely love to have their help. Great. We'll put that link in the post description and in the show notes. Uh, Congressman Schiff, thank you so much for taking the time and best of luck in the campaign trail. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks again to Congressman Schiff. That's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review, and check out briantylercohen.com for links to all of my other channels. 